I, I live alone with my child and with the woman that helps me raise him. And that's my little small family. So I, I think this is really moving for women that have had to stand alone. Cleo and Sofia are heroes of motherhood and of love. They're heroes of everyday life. Welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show on Twitter at NomcastPod, or you can follow me at JokesOnDrew on Twitter and Instagram. The voice you heard at the top is the voice of Marina de Tavira, who is currently nominated for Best Supporting Actress for her role as Sophia in this week's Netflix original, Roma. Along with Marina's performance, Roma is up for 10 total nominations, including Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, and Best Picture. Those three nominations are attributed to the visionary who brought this movie to life, Alfonso Cuaron. Movie fans, of course, know Cuaron from his previous Best Picture nominee, Gravity, as well as critically acclaimed movies such as Children of Men, E Tu Mama Tambien, and Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. The film is an intimate look at the year in the life of Cleo, a middle-class family's maid in Mexico City in the early 1970s. The movie is largely based on Alfonso Cuaron's childhood and his relationship with his family maid, Libo Rodriguez, whom Cuaron has put in several of his films in small roles. To break down arguably Netflix's most important movie to date, I brought on a very special guest, my friend, Adrian Pang Correa. Adrian is a wonderful cinematographer who is known for his work on the second season of the Netflix series Glow. He also just wrapped the new Hulu series, Rami, which is scheduled to come out in April of this year, and the Genji Cohen-produced show American Princess, which will be coming to Lifetime in June. Thanks to Adrian for doing the show, and be sure to watch the Oscars this Sunday to see if Roma takes home the big prize for Netflix. Enjoy the episode, everyone. Give a listen. Well, with with Roma, like uh, I guess we can get into it. Yeah. the uh, the one thing, <laughs> the one thing that I felt the first time I saw this movie, and, and it seems to be the persistent narrative for people with this movie, is that it's a gorgeous movie as far as the way it looks, the 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 way it's shot and everything else. And obviously, if that's the narrative, it's super impressive to see Quaron do it himself in this regard. Yeah. He's what he's that rare director who can do that like you have a paul thomas anderson who can accomplish that you have a soderbergh who likes to do that himself and it seems like a tall order because you're a person who's a full-time cinematographer can you imagine doing both like you i forgot at one point didn't you have a project where you did yourself like almost like a short film you did yourself that you i did did you shot yeah i I did a short film i did not shoot it i had someone else shoot it and it was difficult for me to let the camera go. Yeah. You know, but Coron tra- basically uh, trained as a cinematographer. Right. So like him, and then you have the greatest 
can arguably the greatest cinematographer in the modern age who's basically your mentor yeah telling you oh yeah you can do this i mean i can yeah. understand why he would step forward and shoot of course himself. and it's such a personal story and also yeah. you know that can't i mean also there's something to be said about having when you're a cinematographer it's like you know like you're constructing imagery you're interpreting the script in regards to the vision of the director and right for coron it just feels like you know it's like he doesn't need to there's no shorter hand you're going to have with another person than yourself. Of course. So, you know, like if he has a capable gaffer and key grip and operators and whatnot in ACs, like he can, he can streamline the cinematography process and just kind of collapse it into his directorial duties. And yeah. He certainly did that with, with, uh, with Roma. So do you think, cause you know, he has a, you know, a huge filmography now. He has a huge career now, uh, leading into this to where I felt cinematography, like the way, say children of men is shot or gravity or these other movies that his style in those movies tended to be that the camera was always moving and Roma. I don't know if because he was doing the cinematography that he changed that slightly. There was a lot more just set it and forget it kind of uh, moments where he'd set up these voyeuristic uh, shots, which he's also known for, but at the same time he almost like, kept everything static for a lot of it besides those like sweeping shots of like those tracking shots he would right. do outside the home or whenever they were outside of the home what's well, funny because like with films like children of men you talk about the logistics like i don't know if he could have shot that film himself just because the logistics of it are so massive yes you know it would have been i don't even know if daunting is the right word it would have been debilitating to try yeah. and handle all of that and yeah, it's a much more intimate movie yeah and then but like this film has a really kind of a objective camera but the structure of the moves still have great scope to it. It's just a really intimate film with scope. And then you have a lot of wide angle photography and a lot of these like really, really long pans and tracking shots. You know, it feels very, it has this kind of like languid pacing to it. I didn't ever thought it was visually boring. You know, there are other observational. No, films, I don't believe like, that at yeah. all. No, yeah. no. Like, uh, but it's like, like that sweeping shot over the, um, the protest that look out yeah. of that, the, the, the windows of the uh, that 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 furniture shop is yeah. that all the that huge uh, riot is taking place, you know it's like that that kind of stuff has incredible scope, but the camera doesn't ever never engages in this kind of like uh, kinetic energy. It just plays in a very kind of observational uh, tone, and it's it's funny how it it kind of straddles the line between being almost like a Bergman esque in terms of like this like very specific observational kind of perspective and then having things that are obviously kind of transition into a little bit more of a, the sublime just things like when the the fire's happening and concentrating on that guy right. singing the song and and then just the the large uh, sweeping tracking shot that starts on the beach and takes her out into the water when uh, yeah. Leo is going to save the kids which is also a very big Quaron thing he somehow he ends a lot of movie in the in the water, right. like gravity. Obviously, for a very good reason, ends yeah. ends in water. Children of Men ends in water. Yeah. Uh, so he's got kind of the style, and even Great Expectations, I think, also ends in water. But obviously, that's a predetermined kind of project. Yeah, that, all, that's know, a choice. All those but. movies centers around elements of birth and death. You know, whether it's Children of Men and yeah, and, uh, and even when he did Harry Potter, he kind of had brought that to it. I don't, I, not the aquatic thing exactly, but the the well, narrative he, well, there he is finds the death, appealing. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is the thing when uh, he basically finds out that he's the one who cast the... Harry finds out he cast the Patronus that's on the body of that lake. Yeah. So it is around water, too. You know, like, It is true. definitely something <laughs> yeah. that plays into the, the nature of uh, 
his filmmaking. Yeah. Whether it's a straight symbolism and he likes engaging in that or just something about the nature of that, uh, tying the pivotal elements of his films into that kind of a setting is something that certainly merits discussion. And when, and yeah. So, but it's like, for me, like Roma has, you know, it's like, it's definitely a film to me that kind of merits multiple viewings because it's like this French film, Jean Delman, which is with this really observational, it's long. It's like three and a half hours long. Okay. But this really observational kind of film where you're just like watching this woman go through the most basic, banal elements of her everyday life. And so that small, very small moments and small points of action that happen have great significance in terms of the the narrative. And there's something about that with uh, this, fil- this film. It's funny. It's kind of reminded me of uh, Andrei Rublev, which is this Tarkovsky film that it's almost like a travel log about the biopic about the story of uh, the, the 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 iconography uh, of uh, that that the painter Andrei Rublev and there's something more has this kind of intimate epic nature of the of, of the biopic right and there's something really specific that Roma carries in the same way just like the quiet observation of this woman's life and yeah. a woman who seems to be someone who is inconsequential but kind of holds all the elements of what it means to be. A human being yeah you know and obviously this is based on his life and uh, right. he said i believe something around 80 to 90 percent of the scenes in this movie are literally memories of his from his childhood so it, it can't be any more yeah. <laughs> intimate than that so with that i i did appreciate the the voyeurism about this movie where you are like you said watching all these little elements and it it's interesting for a movie that's up for best picture and is right now with the current front runner it's been a long time even though i like this movie a lot it's a hard sell <laughs> it's yeah. a hard sell to like the fair weather or average moviegoer to where it's like okay i'm gonna set this up for you it's black and white it's subtitled it has no star you've ever heard of it has not even a you know a word like a you know there's people who are this is literally their first movie the only thing you can bank on is that Coron has a track record that is worth, you know, going into to anything that he does. But, you know, now and and it literally is an emotional gut punch. The yeah. movie has moments in it to where you literally go, oh, I don't feel well <laughs> from from watching this. You know, we kind of spoil things on here so okay. I can, you can speak freely. Um, but, you know, literally to the point of. Where uh, where Cleo goes to the hospital and and has her moment with uh, a stillbirth, which is one of the most horrifying things in reality. Let alone, I I don't think I've ever really seen that on film, and especially to capture it in the way that you would think, it was so realistic. Yeah, because he never cuts away. It literally yeah. plays un- uncut in the background of the shot. For- yeah. Yeah, I mean a- that that is where the movie really takes the harsh turn, of course, because you go literally right from the riot scene to that, uh, and you start to see even before that where the relationship changes, even in the family dynamic, from the pregnancy. I mean, she finds out she finds out she's pregnant. For me, you know, doesn't want anything to do with her. To an <laughs> almost yeah. that guy's uh, got problems. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we can get into that too. I mean, there there's no good man in this movie. There and and no, when no, Cor- there isn't. when Coron was actually asked, I listened to him on NPR, and they he, they were like, "Well, 
what do you say about how you depict men in this movie? And he's like, this is from my memory. I wish it was better, but I don't have any better memories. So it's like, you can't fault him for how this goes. You have to literally just trust that his memory is accurate. And so it kind of says something about the time period in which he grew up there. The kind of neighborhood, the Roma neighborhood was in Mexico City, what was going on there at the time and and how maybe that culture is. And that's why I know I'm speaking to a person who's not of Spanish uh, uh, descent, probably. So, uh, you know. I, I felt like I liked this movie, but I think this movie is even more important to people who aren't me. To like, I've yeah. I've listened to a lot of podcasts where there were more Spanish specific right. podcasts or Spanish culture podcasts. Yeah, and they, I think, are, this is an opus. To, like, this is this is a beautiful movie for me. But I think when it really truly reflects things that they've tried to capture on film before, but never have, and and they finally have it, and I think that's why this movie is important and i think that's why if it is best picture i think it's still a great message to put out there that hey it's not all about what what the what the straight white male thing so it's not what uh you know because most of the directors out that are successful are, are those i mean you don't see any women up for best director this year you don't see a whole lot i mean the narrative obviously with spike lee is fine but that's kind of i felt they kind of just it's not a throw-in but it's like where was this 20, 30 years ago? He has way better movies than Black Klansman. This is kind of a, well, oh, mean, we could do this. Well, I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, when it comes to award season, I mean, I, I, I feel like, you know, it's not just about, unfortunately, it's not just about the work. I think a lot of it is about, you know, like uh, the campaigning. And, of course. Uh, I mean, there's a reason, I think there's a reason why you, you know, like the, there was very little... Uh, work being done by Bradley Cooper for yeah. any of the uh, the, uh, the uh, kind of the Oscar pre the nominations, and then he got passed over for director, and yeah. suddenly he's on every every yep. talk show I've, yeah. I've I've seen. I mean, like people have to put their their foot forward in terms of trying to to get an Oscar. Well, I thought Spike one... Spike Lee has never been that guy. No, you of know? course not. And I think Black Klansman was just a film that just happened to hit the zeitgeist and of course be culturally really appropriate in this particular time yeah and it was almost like the wave that couldn't be denied to him is it one of his best directed movies i mean that's arguable to me i mean like i i i, I think uh some of his best movies are uh, no one ever talks about like clockers or 25th hour so oh, i love you know. 25th hour yeah. i love clockers too but 25th yeah. hour is yeah. uh, a very underrated movie i mean i I think you know, like Malcolm X and Do the Right Thing. I think those films are, are canon. I think of those are you know, like culturally, they're they're as close as to his Lawrence of Arabia in, in terms of uh, yeah. storytelling as as he's probably ever going to get. I don't yeah, know, you know, but it's and even movie like Inside Man, where it's kind of more more in the pop culture, like in, in a more mainstream movie. Yeah, you know, he kills that too. So he's very. Yeah. He can do it. They kinda, he, yeah, they kind of pin him down when it, it's not warranted. But he can do he, it when he wants to. I mean, even with like movies like Get on the Bus, which seem yeah. like really small and thrown together, to me are incredibly powerful or bamboozled. Or yeah, you know. But it's just like when it comes bamboozled. to like <laughs> yeah, but coming but just tearing it back to Roma in terms of the award season. I mean, I just I mean I don't I can't think of a film that's this esoteric uh, and this kind of insular that's one in long time i mean like, I, I can't even think of a film that that plays as that seems as less concerned with a narrative yeah you know what i mean yeah because i mean it's 
really not that it's not propulsive by any means. No, not at all. It's all you know. It's it's it is kind of half kind of like recalled memory and like personal personal epic i would say so yeah. it's like it's 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 got this kind of half dreamlike quality to it yeah maybe that's part of what the black and white photography means to him and it's definitely something where it just feels like it has a very particular it, it it's 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 strange because obviously a lot of the production design and and whatnot makes it feel it uh, has a certain anachronism to it in terms of like it's the particular models of cars particular yeah. models of dress but then it also has this kind of kind of like weird timelessness to it yeah you know and there's like all these kind of like weird postmodern elements like just the whole Fairman like naked martial arts performance yeah. to camera that, yeah you know like those things feel so kind of like oh, that can only be in a memory yeah in a way you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean it's yeah. like it's so spe- it's, it seems so hot wired to somebody's like memory yeah or sense of history yeah like it's too awkward in terms of what, how to stage a moment for it not to be kind of dreamlike absolutely and this is not a and, and this is in that regard i don't know if this film wins the oscar simply because of that kind of element well see that's why i didn't think that too i this this year and uh, not to get too award heavy but i think it's a big narrative around this movie is the the award season because we're in that uh, part of the year mm-hmm. but it's also a big deal because i would have thought this year if if i had to guess what was going to win before the golden globes i would have said a star is born is going to win and it's not even close and then the narrative like you said i guess there is way too much weight on the on the on the marketing aspect even though they made a terrific movie they made a lot of money they somehow have to do more and i find that obviously repulsive but uh when you have netflix here who is supremely motivated this is the the best chance they've had they've never had one up for best picture they've had stuff in award contention um you know they had peace and donation mudbound and some other i believe uh documentaries maybe uh that have been in contention but now this is this is their opportunity this is their they've hit then they've hit the public now between Bird Box and Roma and and some of these other movies like uh, the Fire Festival doc blew up on social media. You had uh, Velvet Buzzsaw seems to be generating some some I some extra buzz. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Uh, we did that on this podcast too. It's interesting to to see that I would have said right now, even after all this, I still deep down I have to go. Green Book's going to win this and it's going to bother me. Well, but. The, well, that, well, I mean, that's, all the things you just mentioned are one of the reasons I would say you would say that it's not going to win. Yeah. You know, because Oscars is traditionally has this wonderful sense of being like, you know, grab some wood there, bub. Yeah. Sit back and relax. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll get, yeah. Not this one. Yeah. Like, they, well, last year, Shape of Water. I mean, uh, you know, Get like, Out was the story. Get Out's the movie that's going to persist. Yeah, but, but Guillermo del Toro had been around for 25 years. Yeah. Tyler, Tyler, tirelessly toils on his movies. He's yeah. a little specific. Gave all of his directorial funds back to get that movie made. Yeah, but that movie still hasn't. Is still more of a traditional narrative. Yeah, you know, and it's like this, oh, it's this, almost classic yeah, style, almost cla- and that's yeah. why I again I thought Star Is Born was gonna be be this persistent narrative for months on end, being like this is gonna win because it's a classic Hollywood movie redone where they didn't change a ton of elements. Well, that's the thing. It is a remake, you know. And then Bradley. I don't Cooper. think they held that against them. I think this is clearly uh, just well, uh, personal. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> Bradley Cooper, you know, like directing. It's, I'm, 
I don't know, man. You have like it's your first film. Relax. How much of a stretch is it for Lady Gaga to play a singer? You've got the whole green. You've got the whole Green Book controversy with the the magical Negro thinking. And, yeah, and the the, the which the, the, having Spike Lee involved in the in the best too, picture the, narrative you know, that's hilarious. That's why I think you know like I wouldn't be surprised to see Spike win Best Director. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him Best Director, and I wouldn't be surprised if Black Panther wins Best Picture. Uh, I, there's something everybody, about it where but he loves that movie. I know. Well, <laughs> the it won the SAG award for the ensemble cast as just kind of their big ticket award of the evening but it's kind of like the only thing they've won and and so far that's why roma is persisting here because uh i believe the dgas uh recognized coron i believe the i think they got something either in the cinematography one as well maybe in the guilds and may and i think bafta uh, no, no, also the, recognized i roma. think the guy who won i think the guy oh god what's his name I think a Cold War. From Cold War. Okay. Yeah. Which, so that was going to be my question too, because like I said, the first thing most people say when they say something about this movie is that it's beautifully shot. And, you know, this is the first time Coron's doing it. And he's actually up for best cinematography as well as best director and, and, uh, you know, best picture and, and all these things. Well deserved. Um, do you think he should win any of those, or or how do, how do you see this playing out? Uh, I thought Cold War was beautifully shot. I think the style of it, with all the the excessive headroom and the way they play with framing, probably uh, to me played stronger in Ida mm. or Ida, however you want to say it. Yeah, and the, the first their first yeah. exchange, yeah. but Cold War is, is that's also a very personal movie. Yeah, exactly. It's based on his parents. Yeah, right? it's. Yeah. I mean, that's another beautiful. I could see that movie winning. The thing with. The thing with uh, cinematography for Roma is like, to me, it's like, it's not just the fact they shot on the Aerie 65 and it's in black and white, but like, like to me, like the, the important thing about the cinematography for Roma to me is that like, it's very specifically and mindful use of camera for storytelling purposes. Yeah. You know, they're not shooting coverage and then just slapping something together and re-edit. Yeah. Like the nature, every one of these shots feel very, very specifically considered. I mean, there's a reason why the most beautiful and cinematic looking close up of Cleo is after her daughter is born stillborn. Yeah. There's that shot behind over her shoulder and there's something um, and it looks out on over her apartment. You see everybody kind of playing. There's like a whole bunch of action of people outside and she just stands, sits perfectly still. Right. There's something very kind of like uh, Polanski about that shot in the sense that like yeah, you, desperate, actually, yeah. you desperately want to turn around and see what's going on in her face and then when you do turn around on her face that close up there is this it almost looks like a religious painting it looks like a, a, a painting of one of the martyrs in terms yeah. of like she, it's, a, it's the most pristine looking close up of her in the entire movie right. she almost has this kind of like light that's rounded behind her head with this dark background it plays very very graphically yeah. so in terms of like photography in terms of the use of camera and the specificity and the planning of shots, I mean, you can't say that Roma isn't everything in terms of what it should mean to for a classic sense of cinematic storytelling with camera. Yeah. Uh, to me, if it won, I would not be uh, I would not be upset. I mean, that that shot tracking over the furniture shop window with all the extras down at the bottom running. I yeah. mean, there's yeah. I don't know when I've seen a shot that has that kind of scope that looks absolutely real. I don't know yeah. if it's digitally augmented or whatnot, but it felt yeah. real. I remember when I went to the Egyptian a few years ago and saw a 70 millimeter screening of uh, 
Lawrence of Arabia. And I was going to say, not many movies are shot on 70, yeah. so I was waiting for you to say Lawrence yeah. of Arabia. Well, that, I mean, when you see that in 70, um, like you can just tell there's something different about the movie. Yeah. And, and, and I would I did not see Roma in 70 millimeter. Unfortunately, I saw it on my home screen with a. I was going to say I wanted, I was curious to see how you watched it because it is in theaters right now uh, around not, some. Not and, around here though. Yeah, no, it's actually playing at the Cine, I believe. Where? Um, New Haven, like right outside New Haven. Not in 70 though. Oh no no no! no. Yeah. I I meant just even just in a in a cinema you can yeah. find Roma now. It's starting to have a few. Yeah. around here yeah i played um, a little bit but i wanted to see it in 70 and i think it was playing in new york a little bit for 70 but then by the time i, I could see that. i had time i was like oh shoot i want to go and i just had not have a chance right to. but back to that shot in terms of that scope of that like you haven't seen anything that felt like a lawrence of arabia moment where you know everything in that frame is tactile and real yeah like there's something about that shot that kind of recalls that sense of hollywood grandeur and it's in those small moments that i feel like in terms of what oscar is like that moment to me, like that feels like an Oscar moment. Yeah, you know, in terms of like it would, it'll, it'll be on like the montage in ten years. Yeah, when the, there's an Oscar thing, let's see, it's, you know, like the history of movies, like that shot, and a lot of those moments will play that. Right. But then you know, like that, that's the the beautiful thing of that movie to me, is there's like there's these sweeping grand shots of like the crowd stuff, and then there's just these you know 270 degree pans of. Cleo just walking around the place, shutting off lights at the end of the night, and <laughs> cleaning and, up so much dog shit. Yeah, cleaning up I mean, so much dog shit. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean that dog has real, <laughs> real has significant digestive issues that with yeah. that dog. Yeah, I mean when she's sweeping up, I'm like, there's one, there's one turd that was like a foot and a half long, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, I'm like, that's a significant amount. Yeah, it was <laughs> absurd. I'm like, all I can think of is like the mad director Quran, like demanding his crew to like eat <laughs> and hold shit. and nobody, <laughs> nobody shit until yeah. you have to. And then we're going to use it because it feels real on set. But it's just, you know, it's, it's an, it's, it's an amazing achievement in many ways. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a, it's definitely a, to me, a really beautiful and moving picture. I, but it's funny is like, I'm, I would like to see it again on the big screen and see how that changes my perception because I remember I saw The Master mm. a few years ago in 35. Yeah. And it was played very strongly. I love that movie. Yeah. But then I was at in Santa Monica and I saw it at a, what the hell's that fucking theater? I can't remember. But it played, it's the Egyptian, The Arrow in okay. Santa Monica and they are the sister theater of the uh, the Egyptian in in, Cal, in uh, Los Angeles. And, uh, yeah. and at The Arrow they played a 70 millimeter print of The Master and it was a different movie. Yeah. It played differently. It played bigger. It was really fascinating yeah. cinematic experience to see it one way and then see it in the original format in that size and see how the nature of it played differently yeah. in the viewing. I was actually really impressed. And I saw the 70 millimeter of uh, 2001 there too. Oh, God. That, yeah, was, that was pretty great. Impressive. With, the, with yeah. the Christopher Nolan, uh, the, the, the remaster that oh, he did. Oh, yeah. And it was... It is. It's impressive to see those movies. So I would advocate to your to non-cast listeners that if you can see a movie in 70, it's worth the money and the time. It's, yeah. It, it really is. You know, whether you've seen the movie or not, it's impressive. Well, even, I mean, people search out just even doing specific movies in IMAX just to get that added either sound element or that immersive feeling sure that i mean 70 obviously does that on a different level obviously i think you painted that pretty well but yeah. i remember seeing dunkirk specifically in imax because i wanted yeah. that feeling 
uh, that you're that in war feeling that is nothing better uh, than having you feel like you're surrounded like like a movie like that because that is the point of half the movie. Where'd you see it in Norwalk? Yeah, yeah, that's where I saw it in Norwalk. Yeah. Too. It's it's it was a great experience. It was. Um, it's that's an impressive movie to watch. Something I wanted to touch on about this movie, especially because we talked about a little bit about how terrible men are in this movie. They're just awful. They're the worst. I mean, the family's going through a divorce with a you know kind of a philander awful husband. Yeah, friend with his flailing penis. Yeah, oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, and the, yeah, uh, so nothing, nothing really to get. Even uh, how the doctors treat people, like there is no. The worst moment, though, the worst moment is obviously Cleo's in horrible distress. Uh, she's been trapped in a car. Yes. For since the riot, it's been two hours, yeah. probably in terrible pain. And then Antonio sees her and says, yeah. "Hey, everything's gonna be all right." Uh, doctor won't let me go in with you. Yeah. So I'm just gonna be. And then she's like, "Oh no, you can come in." He's like, "Uh, I have an appointment." Yeah. And it's just like <laughs> such a lying asshole. Like that yeah. to me, I was like, I don't care how many times you've had sex with your mistress. This is the worst thing you've ever done yes. to a human being. <laughs> so it was awful. Dehumanizing. Everything is awful with the man. And and there's one line in the movie that kind of fuck the galaxy, fuck his car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they scratch it. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. But. The one line that uh, is said in this movie that I pulled out that kind of sets the tone for the entire movie is uh, when the mother, uh, Sophia, uh, is talking to Cleo and and says, when you are a woman in this world, you are always alone. And that is kind of the theme of this movie because I feel, you know, one moment they always treat Cleo like she works for them. Like, they'll be hard with her. They'll be rigid. They'll be like, you're not our family. This is a family matter. Get the hell out of here. Then another moment will happen where they're like, "You are one hundred percent a part of this family. Everything you mean, everything to us." And I feel it's mostly in times of manipulation or complete desperation. So they kind of treat her like a pet, and it's ridiculous. And the weird part of the her experience too is that when they think they know her and they truly show love for her, especially like from the child's perspective. Yeah, there's a there's a moment in the movie where they say like, "Oh, we should go visit." Cleo's village and it's after we already know as the viewer that the village is basically destroyed and that she doesn't know what the state of her village is and that she couldn't go back to her village because she was pregnant she felt embarrassed she didn't know what to do like she's had a whole separate life than what is intimated into this family and yet they're her whole world yeah so it's very heartbreaking to see the how uh, a person who works in a home and kind of stays there, but it is work. So what what is life to you at that point? And and I don't think that's been really captured in any movie that I've seen. No. And I thought that was probably the best, like the humanity of this movie yeah. is what drew me to it. And and I think is will make it go forward. Yeah, it's, I mean it's incredibly compassionate viewing of a human being from a. Uh, Coron's perspective. I mean, it reminds me of Balthazar, this Robert Persson film, which basically tracks the life of this abused donkey. Not that she's a donkey. She's not a burrow. Right. But the emotional weight of somebody who is basically a, lives a life of sacrifice in yeah. a way is something really specific. Yeah. Um, and there's something really heartbreaking. I mean, there's like when she gets 
when she gets admitted to the hospital and the grandmother <sighs> is like, uh, I don't know her name. I don't know yeah. who's, it's who's her family. Yeah. Now she knows absolutely nothing about this person. Yeah. And then she's sitting down watching TV with the family and laughing. And you're like, oh, wow, they're including her. And yeah, then she's yeah. like, go make the doctor some chamomile. Yeah. And there's all these like, and that's kind of funny is because like the, this is a person who obviously cares deeply about those children, cares deeply about this family. Of course. And then when you, there's um, there's something about her being pregnant where I thought it was like, oh, she's like, now she's going to keep this child and have right. something of her own. Yeah. And then there's that hor- horrible yeah. uh, admit, admission after she saves him where she's just like, I didn't want her to be alive. Yeah. And it's just like. And it comes so much for like the time goes. I mean, God, I don't know how much time is after that moment, but they basically take her on like. They take her on this, quote, vacation, but uh, obviously it's a self-serving move by the mother because the father's going to pick up his stuff and leave uh, yeah. and, and, and you know, finish the, the separation or divorce. And, you know, so even every move is like, hey, we want you to come on vacation because we love you, but I really need you right now because yeah. I need you emotionally and I need you because I'm a mess to take care of my children. I need you. Like, so everything was painted yeah. as you're this but it was never the way it seemed or but when she has that breakdown i thought it's an incredibly poignant moment but it also illustrates that she has no one to talk to and nowhere to turn that she kind of just has an emotional outburst after an even more emotional moment where she has to save these kids from drowning these stupid kids these stupid ass (laughs) kids that you know hey one thing we don't want you to do five minutes later they're doing it they're drowning <laughs> you know it's, well, it's that's kids so that's kids that's yeah. definitely and it's also you know it's a i think this movie is an allegory for abortion and how uh every child should be no i'm just kidding <laughs> the, uh, this, it's, this it's just it was actually really i mean <laughs> psychopath when he's just like he's like i'll kill you i'll kill you and your little one inside you yeah and i was just like my God, it's so terrible. But it's just like, it's a... It's amazing uh, the sliding doors moments in, in these movies yeah, where like, are. you should have just seen the movie, Cleveland. <laughs> Jesus Christ, your whole your whole life changed and this guy's doing naked martial arts and uh, like nothing about what you're doing should have been done. <laughs> like, I don't know what about Fermin said, oh yeah, no, I should do it. But it's kind of the desperation to have a life and connection because she gets so little of it. That, you know, basically it's like, oh, my God, I can go out with a friend and and see a boy like it's a huge deal uh, because she has no life. Otherwise, that isn't this family. I mean, she sacrifices everything. Yeah. Like she's basically a single mother. Yeah. She clearly wants to go see a movie. Yeah. And then he's just like, oh, it's so nice. out." He's like, no, it's not nice. He just wants to to get laid. Yeah. 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 She wanted to see that movie. Yeah, the the men in this movie are selfish assholes (laughs) in every which way. And. Well, just disturbingly so. Ramon does take her to fa- find him. Yeah, you know but that's she, true. But she, you know, but even that was a reluctant. Yeah, well, he definitely. Know. He was busy rocking out. Yeah, performing, and he almost did it out of spite. Sub- sublime music. <laughs> I mean, he just really, was like, fuck for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so again, it's kind of like a, a self-serving moment. You know, what? Ramon's an asshole too. Yeah, everybody's an asshole who's a man in this movie. Um but you know, that, like he said, that was literally ripped uh, a whole bunch of things ripped from his memory. So you can't really knock that too hard. Did you think the the time period and the and the 
uh, working class neighborhood did anything for you as far as like why he went back to this time period? Uh, I mean, because obviously for him, that's where things were for him. So he obviously went back to what was what was known. But, you know, to me, it also is nice to see most movies about Mexico in my lifetime have been drug cartel movies. So it's nice to actually see like a normal suburban working class Mexico City and and not even in a modern parlance, but it seems modern. Yeah. You know, in the way they act and there's no there's no difference to our life. And I thought that was also important. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, it's like, you know, like so much of our perception of of foreign places tends to be kind of negative because it's like either, like you said, stories are, are based around. Yeah, like anything you see in the news usually is 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 catered towards something like terrible because yeah. that gains clicks and looks and you know and not that it verifies people's beliefs but people like looking at that shit. Yeah, you know, yeah. like if you would go to Jerusalem, you know, it's a lovely place. Yeah, but it's like uh, the one thing you hear is like it's like how terribly dangerous oh, the yeah, Middle East is. Sure, yeah, sure. Like anywhere is dangerous. Yeah, I can take a wrong. My turn. wife is Jewish. She spent time in Israel, and I I, I see that all the time. Yeah. Uh, between she's like here, here's all these gorgeous shots of when I lived there. I you know lived on the kibbutz. Uh, everyone was yeah. really nice. All these things and and then, but you can't deny obviously the practical you know civil war that they have going on yeah. at all times. So or not civil. I mean you know what I mean. Obviously with the Palestinians. But, so. ev- but every place is dangerous. I was in Soweto in South Africa and they were like, hey, you can't be here after dark. And uh, it was dangerous after dark. But like during yeah. the day, it was incredibly lovely place with lovely yeah. people and I've been in Bulgaria and, and all over the world and you know the poorest country in the EU is Bulgaria and people are like oh you have to be careful and it was right. lovely it's just and in regards to the way seeing Mexico City in this movie is the fact that like I think what helps is the fact that he did use black and white yes. because black and white just kind of lends this air of kind of it's it's not about being authentic. It's just kind of the removing color kind of gives this idea of like a, there's this kind of even if it's like a muddy road or something like that, yeah. it gives it this kind of stark beauty in a way. Yeah. There's one there's a there's a pan there's a camera pan from like left to right where Cleo's walking and there's like all these like broken down buildings and mud roads with tons of water. I can't remember exactly where it is. Yeah, but it was like when they went where they went for New Year's or something like they went on some kind of vacation. Something like that. And it was, but it's like I remember thinking to myself during that shot specifically specifically was if this shot was in color, it it would kind of highlight the fact of like this kind of third world nature of the setting. Yeah, you know, and it would immediately color someone's idea of exactly what this place was. But because it had this kind of like gorgeous kind of stark nature of the black and white photography it just yeah. kind of played at this kind of beautiful dreamlike reality yeah and i think that was key because it kind of removes the kind of prejudicial ideas or whatever a person's particular baggage about what mexico is right i think that's kind of an inspired choice yeah you know i'm always i'm always uh, thinking about how you know, Steven Spielberg asked his dad what he should have changed about, or if he, if he would have changed anything about Schindler's List. And um, Spielberg's father said, I would have filmed it in color because it wasn't in black and white for me when I saw it, oh, yeah, when I course, experienced yeah. the yeah. this. And, like, there is something to be said about that, like reality versus the kind of, like, a stylization of what black and white brings. Does, right. Is that really a reality? You know, it's like, in, and there's something about the way 
Quaron kind of films the entire movie with this really wide angle presentation of all this. There's of, of almost every setting, you know, there's even something like as, as simple as like the beautiful shot when, uh, uh, Cleo and Fairman, Ferrum for me, for me are making out in the, uh, the theater and she tells yeah. him and where he, of course he subsequently disappears asshole. <laughs> yes. But there's like this beautiful kind of widescreen, uh, element to that, that, that moment. And it plays like as this kind of like classically beautiful in the theater moment. Yeah. Uh, in a movie theater moment kind of thing that's kind of from all cinema. Yeah. And then it has a very shallow depth of field because of the 65 and it focuses centered uh, squarely on, on the backs of, uh, of uh of of these well lovers at that moment right and there's something really interesting that he balances the entire movie between the epic and the intimate yeah and i think a lot of that is that widescreen photography the black and white and the nature of how he uses focus in the movie so i to me i i think that's critical in terms of the way that's mexico city is is uh he framed it yeah the beautiful face of cleo so expressive and then you know like these really interesting uh locations that you don't get to see often in film right and then the style of the lighting and the photography itself in terms of the black and white it just you know and one other underrated aspect i thought for me was the lack of soundtrack that everything is all just experiential everything adds to literally feeling like you're in this family that you're along for the ride everything that happens is you know if it's a very tangible movie. It's a, it, it it brings you in. I like a lot of those elements you were talking about bring you in. I thought that was one extra way. Well, the sound design is pretty incredible. Now, I I can't stand for the veracity of this statement, but um, <laughs> um, Charles Hood, a friend of mine who's a filmmaker, told me that Quaron actually recorded every single person background person's dialogue separately. Really. Every single person, every single scene, wow, their dialogue or whatever they're just saying, even if it's just background chatter, yeah. is recorded separately. Wow. And as I understand it, that's one of the great benefits of seeing this film in a theater. Yeah. Is because of the immersive nature and reality of the soundscape. Yeah. Um, that's the one thing. And I have a pretty good home system, theater system at home. And Humble even, brag. I hear you. It's not, <laughs> trust, trust me, it ain't that great. No, I know. But it's just like, I'm like, wow, oh God, I mean, it's, it's something about... That's that's definitely a huge benefit of seeing a movie theater uh, experience for this movie. I, I wish I'd. I'm gonna try and and go see it in the theater just for the soundscape alone. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah. and the uh, the home theater isn't that great. You don't want to put that out there. Uh, yeah. no, it's not that great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that is nice though, and, and I do envy. <laughs> I do envy that you at least have some system. We are currently in my home. You would see exactly where I watched it. Nothing impressive. But it is a hard movie, especially with the Netflix experience, to watch a movie. Like everything like everything is distracting. You're not in a movie theater. You're not you're away like in a movie theater, you're away from your elements. You're not like, oh, I can go, you know, make a sandwich or I can go uh, you know, be on my phone for a minute, or I can go and do all these other things. This movie, you really have to pay attention, of course, because of the subtitles. Yes. Um, as well as just, you should, don't be a dick. Sure. Uh, pay attention to a movie full bore. This isn't uh, something where you can kind of just have in the background. Yeah. This movie is that kind of experience. So I, I do applaud that Netflix still does that balance where they still release some things out in theaters while still having the Netflix 
uh, experience available because I think it's important to see. I don't know how many movies they've actually done theatrical release on. I know in the last Bright? few years they did uh, they did do Bird Box in some theaters. They did, did do Ballad of Buster Scruggs in some theaters. What about Bright? I, I don't remember when because yeah. uh, when that first happened, I wasn't fully. War, I, I War, don't War Machine. Did they do War Machine? No, I don't. I yeah. don't think so. So Brad, I think this Brad is a Pitt relatively movie, yeah. new experience. They might have done it with. Um, other previous Oscar fair in a like a New York LA run yeah, with, that's with what like it, Beast of No Nation and Mudbound and whatnot. That makes sense. Yeah, but, they, they would have had to have done it for Mudbound. That makes perfect sense because yeah. else she wouldn't have been eligible. Rachel right. would have been eligible for cinematography. So yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, that that was a big thing that made a lot of filmmakers go to Amazon in the first place was because yeah. Amazon still honored the the theatrical window for these films. Yeah. So like I know a lot of films went to Amazon particularly for that reason so well that's so what's impressive about this Roma run I mean the movie has a lot of things that don't catch the public uh, the average fan as far as the way it's shot the the language barrier and everything else but then you also have the uphill climb that they go through even in the industry where you're seeing I don't know if you're aware of this but uh Quaron they tried to get uh the film into Cannes and can said we're not showing anything that's on a streaming service in this festival go fuck yourself and basically netflix was like okay well even if you change your mind we're boycotting you because i believe they started that in 2017 and i think maybe they started to open up their eyes and they're like screw you we'll go to venice and they went to venice and made a lot of noise and and it, their their campaign kicked off from there instead of being like something that could have won the palm or some other big thing for the Cannes Film Festival. So to start that way and then to also go into something like the Globes where, you know, they weren't eligible to be up for best dramatic, like in the best drama category. Uh, and so they've had a lot of obstacles and yet somehow this movie is still the front runner and still persists. Like, do you see anything with the Netflix dynamic uh of how these things might be able to change do you see anything like you've worked for for netflix in a different capacity um and do you see the landscape changing do you see an acceptance coming anytime soon or do you think it's still going to have to be a balance for a while uh i think people are always territorial they always want to protect what's theirs in terms of like uh the theatrical experience versus whatever this online experience streaming experiences and uh and it's tough because, like, uh, you know, like, if you're out in the Midwest somewhere, yeah, like, you don't have a lot of access to these no. movies, you know? So, like, if you... Or sure. even overseas. Like, you're yeah. you're getting more international fare. You're getting more countries because Netflix has the reach that movie theaters don't. And then just talking about... And just talk about just basic human beings, even in Connecticut. Yeah. There are no brick and... There's one brick and mortar store in Connecticut that has an extensive foreign film collection. That's yeah. like Best Video in Hampton. Yeah. Great place. I mean, yeah. Media Highly Wave. Yeah. Media Wave was the other one in, in Fairfield. Fairfield and, yeah. and they're gone. And it's like, you know, like if you want to be a person who wants to educate yourself on filmmaking, like how do you watch? It's hard. How do you watch classic films? Yeah. How do you watch foreign films? Yeah. Like for, you know, like now. Well, I know the like Criterion app might be happening. Criterion's got a new streaming channel coming. Yeah. You know, like all these, these places. Was it Filmstruck also had well, like some kind of Filmstruck deal? was the Criterion thing. Okay. And yeah. they're dead. And now Criterion Channel is going to be their streaming service, which okay. I've already signed up to be a charter member. You guys should too. And, um... <laughs> And it's like, it's, you know, like, and for people in the Midwest or just anybody, like, to educate yourself and see, I mean, streaming is really the only 
significant option to be able to I mean unless you're like me and own 3000 fucking movies yeah. like I can I can do that but in terms yeah, yeah. of somebody else just wanting to to teach themselves yeah. unless you've got a stocked local fucking library to rent yeah. from um you know there aren't a hell of a lot of options so like for me streaming it may be the still be the big bad wolf for a lot of people who value yeah. the theatrical experience I don't know where the theatrical experience is going in 10 years yeah you know cuz like as of right now like what are the films that really make a dent in terms of the theatrical you know it's like yeah. these gigantic event movies yeah and then you know some of these smaller blumhouse horror films that yeah. break out and and then every i mean there's no i mean there's no like adult dramas anymore that make no a, that, and that's what netflix to their credit has picked up that medium budget movie yeah that you know adult fair uh, uh uh something whether it's even an oscar fair thing or even just like uh, I believe the big movie that Netflix released over the weekend was uh, Paddleton, which is basically a Mark Duplass movie, like those middle mid range. It's like him and Ray Romano. This something that probably costs like you know thirty million dollars maybe or something that thirty to fifty million dollar range yeah. or something, and they're pulling it off. And I mean, even something like uh, over the summer, I believe they they hit it big with like the kissing booth and to all the girls set it up to all the boys I loved before and things like that. Yeah. They, they hit it hard with these movies that just don't get made because everything is a comic book movie or something of the, you know, that ilk or, or it's like you said, horror or or specific fare. Yeah. I worked with Claire Scanlon, who's the director of that movie, set it up on, on, uh, on Netflix. And it was like, like before that happened, like who was making, the ten to fifteen million dollar rom com. Yeah, what, nobody. What, what, nobody was making. Yeah, and now suddenly rom coms are super hot again, and yeah. you know, and and, and young, they have a big part and, of it. Yeah, you know, it's like they're almost cornered the market in that way. Yeah, you know, I don't know about you, but like my, I have like young nieces and and like no no film. They didn't talk about any film like they talked about uh, all the boys I've loved before. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was the the movie that just basically like absorbed, or the kissing boot, like absorbed yeah. all their attention. Yeah, I mean, because every now and then you may get a ladybird or something like that, but right. even then, this is a different. It's a different style. It's yeah. something that appeals to them. Even uh, they got a lot of traction for Dumplin' too, which is yeah. obviously very teen girl centric uh, as well, and a different story. And uh, they're killing it. Uh, they they get it. Their algorithm got it, but yeah. so I, they probably, you know, they deserve the credit because obviously they're building up the algorithms. But yeah. you know, at the same time, it's important. How, and, yeah, how many how many filmmakers you talk to who basically say, uh, unless it's a hundred million dollar movie or like a eight million dollar movie, yeah, like those are the two movies that they can make, yeah, because nobody's making these mid range. Yeah, you know, like like expensive comedies, these thirty million dollar comedies yeah. anymore. Those. Fifty million dollar adult dramas, yeah, that kind of stuff. Nobody makes those movies anymore, and it's 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 a, uh, you know, like when's the next like, like English Patient? Who's ever going to sure. make an English Patient again? Yeah, like I don't, like I don't know. You know, like, well, I, I don't know if they would have made Roma. I mean, I mean, it's it's Quaron, but at the yeah, same that's time, the thing though. He's such. Know, He's so powerful. He probably could have gone to a Fox Searchlight or a, you know somebody like a twenty four or something. Yeah. Maybe got it done, but you know, it's still that's that's a tough sell. Yeah, he's so. one of the few people who can walk in and be like, "Hey, uh, I want to do this." Yeah, you know, like and still get it made. I mean, look, like Fincher. What just happened with Fincher in the uh, the World War Z? Yeah, 
uh, sequel. Yeah. And, like all budgetary concerns. Like it's that's know, David it's, Fincher. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, there, there <laughs> what are, are you very, doing? There are very few filmmakers who are that powerful still. Yeah. Which is sad because I want to see Fincher do more. Uh, for how much I love Mindhunter, I want him to go back to fucking making movies again. Like between yeah. House of Cards and all that stuff. Stop. Go do other movies. You're one of the most important filmmakers. Please, for the love of God, make more movies. I mean, I'd love to see him do like an. Well, I mean, you know, it's like I've seen Zodiac probably 130 times. Yeah, it's so great. Because, and that's not hyperbole. Like my wife demands we watch <laughs> Zodiac all the time. Yeah. I just have to skip over the like various murder, but yeah, that's her request. But like literally, I've seen that movie 100 100 times, at least 100 times. Yeah, and like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I've seen that movie a hundred times. Like, I don't know who makes those movies anymore. Yeah. Every once in a while you get one. Yeah. And like, I just, you know, unless you're that powerful director or you just happen to slip through the cracks, like, yeah. I don't know who, who's able to make those movies anymore. Yeah. And Netflix, thankfully, you know, turns out those every once in a while. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you're a guy who's, you know, an industry professional. You're also a very lovely human being. Trying. To um, be. Trying. But I, uh, I would be remiss to ask you who would you who because uh, the Oscars are coming up this Sunday who would you pick for what uh, what picture for best picture oh man I don't even know who's who's nominated so it's Black Panther it's Black Klansman it's uh, Star is Born Bohemian Rhapsody for God knows what reason Uh, (laughs) not to show my cards Uh, Roma uh, Green Book I feel like I'm missing something. You are. I don't know what I, I don't know. Oh, what Vice and the favorite. I think are the I mean I don't know. I really dug the favorite. I dug that movie a lot, but you know, like if you're at uh, the mo- the movie I like the best every year never wins, so but Yeah, um, well that's the beauty of playing the game. That's the beauty of yeah. playing the game. Uh, oh, you, I'm Adam, not asking you to pick the winner. I'm asking personal choice. Personal Who choice? would you pick out of that group? Adam, a choice, Mission Impossible Fallout? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I mean, hell yeah. Just because of the fact, I mean, if you're going to, all right, we're going to use classic Oscar mentality here, which is you reward the old timer who probably deserved it one time or another and you haven't given it to you yet, I would say, just for Spike, I would say Black, Black Clansman. Clansman. Yeah. yeah. Even though I don't think that's, I don't think that's the best movie of the year, but I think he's a really important filmmaker. Um, that takes a lot of chances and rarely gets any kind of uh, attention. Uh, I don't know, like you know, like Fincher and all the the rest of these guys. They're they're and PTA. They're all lauded filmmakers who are who are kind of in the pantheon of of what people think as modern masters. And I think yeah. Spike is as adventurous and as uh, as far reaching in terms of his artistic ideals as any. Uh, Filmmaker. If you just yeah. look at stuff like Crooklyn or even something like Chirac, which was so experimental in terms of structure and the way he played things, and just he's a very particular directorial voice that I think needs to be acknowledged. I, yeah, I, I mean, think. Scorsese won for The Departed, so I mean, Spike is <laughs> if he won one for Black. My Clans, wife hates that fucking movie, man. She <laughs> hates The Departed. I remember when we were watching it in the theater and that rat crawled across, across the background, the last shot, oh, and she yeah. was like, "You gotta be fucking kidding me." <laughs> You know, but it's like, I mean, but I like I'm I like the uh, I'm a big fan of the the un the unheralded Scorsese stuff, like bringing out the dead and and I I think see I didn't like that one. You should watch it again. Okay, watch it again. <laughs> I realize I, I'm not 
and I'm not even one of those guys is like Nick Cage's trash or anything. I'm not that guy. I just, uh, I just, yeah, that one didn't hit me. I, I was younger though. I, I have revisited things that I saw when I was a teenager. Around it's good that to do age. that every once yeah. in a while. And I tried that. One of my famous ones that I fucking hated this movie, and I rewatched it, and I still didn't like it a whole lot. Uh, is Magnolia. And uh, for how many, because I believe you and Mike Field, who has also been on this podcast, kept telling me, rewatch it, rewatch it, you'll like it. And I love everything else that P.T. Anderson has ever done, and Magnolia, I still can't get there. It has great performances. That's I a great still thing. hate the movie That's overall. the great thing about movies, though, to yeah. me. You know? Like, I mean, it could be something where it, like someone like thinks Magnolia is one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. And you can understand. Yeah. And then someone can tell me that they fucking hate Magnolia. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, yeah, I can understand. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the it's, movies are so specific. I just, I love that stuff. You know, I, that's yeah. one of the great things. And about awards movies. are unfortunate. But the one thing that is nice, because we were talking about how certain a certain level of movie isn't made. The one thing about the Oscars this year is it kind of is running the gambit. You have yeah. big, big tentpole movies like Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, and Star is Born in the category. Yeah. And then you, you have something like Sam, The Favorite. Sam Elliott. Yeah. yeah. Nominated for Stole My Voice. Kind of sounds like Buffalo Bill there. Yeah. It could be like, you stole my voice. And well, somebody, she, I, she, I, a great, she a great big fat person. I listened to the, <laughs> I listened to the Ringer. Uh, podcast a lot, <laughs> yes, yes. And, and they went through. They just recently did a Star Is Born on the Rewatchables, and yeah. and Bill Simmons' impression basically every time he's like, it's somewhere between uh, Andrew Luck and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and Buffalo giant. Bill, Andrew the Giant, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it has all those qualities to it, but yeah. yeah, it's not good. His impression's not good. <laughs> it, is, it is. It is not bueno. No, no. But yeah, well, I appreciate you coming on, man. You're adorable. I love you. I love it, you too. Uh, it's good to have you back on, back in the back in the good old state of Connecticut. And yay! Uh, uh, if you if you haven't checked out, uh, uh, I obviously I do an intro to his podcast, so you can catch that in the beginning. But Adrian uh, is a cinematographer uh, who you may have uh, seen his work on Glow season two. Uh, and tell the people what you got coming up. Or uh, at the end of April. Uh, the the show Rami will premiere for uh, Hulu from a twenty four and that's basically uh, uh, Rami Youssef plays a Muslim American man who's trying to find out how to be a Muslim American and a man in right. this modern age and that's a really fantastic show and then at the end of June actually beginning of June Genji Cohen and Jamie Denbo's show American Princess premieres on Lifetime and that is about a uh, uh, New York socialite whose uh, life falls apart and she runs away to a rent fair and that's a big yeah. fun ensemble comedy show so yeah well i love Jinji cohen obviously because uh when i was so proud of you when when glow season two and i think it's a much better season than season one and the, the show keeps getting better so obviously you were a part of that and that is that is awesome man i'm I love that your success, you know, for our history of working on movies that cost $12,000 and losing money and, <laughs> and our sanity. So I'm glad to see uh, that your your career has persisted and that you have all this success. Thanks, man. All Thank right. you. Thanks, man.